0: Salvation is a gift. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, then that statement will seem so obvious that it hardly needs to even be said. Of course, salvation is a gift. Isn't that what the good news of the gospel is all about? Isn't that the first thing that you learn when you become a Christian? That salvation is a gift. To quote a recent Anglican Catechism, the gospel is the good news that God loves the world and offers salvation from sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift. All Christians would agree with that. And in the general thanksgiving, this seems to be the central and primary thing for which we give thanks. For in the prayer, we thank God for our creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life. But then we go on to say, But above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ. Above all, more than anything else, what we bless God for is the gift of our salvation. And that's something that all Christians agree upon. But perhaps this is one of those truths that seems so obvious that we end up taking it for granted and fail to truly understand it. Or maybe understanding it isn't enough. Maybe this is one of those things that we're not just supposed to understand, but that we're supposed to remember and think about and remember again over and over, which is exactly what we'll be doing in this video. I don't expect that you'll learn anything terribly new from what I have to say about the gift of redemption. And that's okay, because the gift of redemption isn't something that We simply need to learn about and then move on. This gift is one that we need to remember and contemplate, and as Wendell Berry says, to allow ourselves to be astonished at all over again. And to help do that, I'd like to draw your attention to three things. First, the gift itself, redemption. What is this gift and why is it so valuable? Second, the reason or motivation behind this gift. Why was it given to us in the first place? And then third and finally, the response. How should we respond to this gift that is above every gift? So first, let's talk about the gift itself, the gift of redemption. The Bible uses a variety of words and metaphors to talk about salvation. Sometimes, for instance, it talks about salvation as propitiation, as the satisfying of God's wrath and judgment against sin. Other times, it describes salvation in terms of of cosmic conflict, as the victory of God over the powerful enemies that threaten his people. Still elsewhere, it will talk about salvation using terms like justification, which focuses on the acquittal of guilt, or, or reconciliation, which emphasizes the way that those who have been strangers and enemies are reconciled to one another and made friends. But the general thanksgiving uses the word redemption, which isn't opposed to any of these other terms, but has its own set of connotations. Because to talk about salvation as redemption is to talk about it less in terms of guilt or conflict or the reconciliation of enemies and instead, to talk about it in more economic terms, as the, the payment of a debt of some sorts, to redeem something is to buy it or to buy it back. But more than that, when you redeem something or someone, you are rescuing them by paying a price that they cannot pay. So in order to understand our redemption, we have to first be clear on what this debt Or what this situation is that we cannot get out of. And then we need to talk about what the price was that set us free. Debt, of course, is something that we modern people are very familiar with. In 2023, the Federal Reserve announced that total combined American household debt now exceeds $17 trillion that credit card debt alone accounts for more than $1 trillion. And for many Americans, debt is not just some money that they owe that they need to pay off. For many Americans, debt is a way of life. It's an insurmountable obstacle. It's an impossible burden under which they feel trapped, a prison that it feels like they'll never be able to escape. But as as burdensome and terrible as that kind of crippling debt can be, it pales in comparison to the way the Bible describes the human condition. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a story about a servant who finds himself in deep debt when the king does an audit of all the accounts. Jesus says, it's discovered that this servant owes 10,000 talents— Precisely how much that would be in modern currency is hard to calculate. What's more, the Greek term for for 10,000 was the highest number in counting at the time. So Jesus wasn't really trying to describe a precise amount. He was just saying that this servant in question owed as much as is humanly possible to conceive. Imagine somebody who makes 30,000 a year calling into the Dave Ramsey show and saying that they have $1.3 billion in debt. And imagine that bankruptcy is not an option. That was the condition that this servant found himself in. And Jesus's point in telling the story was to suggest that this is actually the condition in which we all find ourselves. We like to think that we can take care of our own problems. We like to think that you know, if it's just, if we, we have enough exercise and dieting or, or enough budgeting and planning that we can find a way to overcome whatever obstacles we face. But the Bible says otherwise. The Bible describes our situation as hopeless, that we are ruled by forces of sin and death beyond our control, that we are trapped in webs of guilt and shame from which we can never free ourselves, that we are buried under a mountain of debt that we can never escape. And that's something that we cannot forget. It's something that the Apostle, the Apostle Paul repeatedly reminded early Christians of in his letters, something he wanted them to think about. Because... If they didn't, if we don't, if we forget just how hopeless and helpless our situation has been, then we can't understand what makes the gift of redemption so very great. But in order to understand that gift, it's not enough to recognize how, how desperate our straits were. We always need to pay attention to just how much our redemption cost, because redemption is not free. There's a price to pay. And according to the New Testament, that price was nothing less than the life of God's own son. What does Jesus tell his disciples? For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or how about what the apostle Peter says when he says that you were ransomed, From the feudal ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Theologians have written long treatises over the centuries, answering the question of why it is that the salvation of the world, the redemption of the world, cost this much. Why the price of our salvation was nothing less than Jesus' own life. But we're not going to get into that question now. For now, I just want to note that the New Testament is clear and unified in its declaration that our redemption was a gift of something we could never do for ourselves, and that the steep price that was paid for that redemption was the life of God's own Son, or as Peter puts it, the precious blood of Christ. That is the gift of redemption. But why, we might ask, was it given? What was the reason behind this remarkable payment? Again, the answer is both clear and simple. The only motivation for this gift was love. John 3.16 is one of the most frequently quoted verses in the Bible. It's the only Bible verse, at least that I'm aware of, that is regularly broadcast at major sporting and entertainment events. Somehow, John 3.16 always finds its way there. And it's one of those verses that it's so familiar that we really forget how profound it really is. But what John 3.16 tells us about the reason or the motivation for our redemption is truly remarkable. Why did God redeem the world? And why pay the exorbitant price of Jesus' life to rescue a bunch of sinners from their self-inflicted problems? What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That, too, is easy to forget. It was easy for the people of Israel to forget the reason that God redeemed them from Egypt. Uh, Sure, when it first happened— They were amazed, and they probably felt unworthy. But over time, it became easier and easier to believe that God's reason for choosing and redeeming them must have had something to do with their own worth. Maybe it was because of their their national courage and strength. Or maybe it was because of their patient suffering they had shown in Egypt. Or because of their superior moral virtue, at least compared to the pagan nations around them. These thoughts must have been a temptation for the Israelites, because in Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 9, Moses explicitly warns them against thinking in such ways. Don't think that God chose to redeem you because he was impressed by your strength or your faithfulness or your hard work. And don't think it was because you were somehow superior to the peoples around you. Do not say, Moses says, It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Why did God choose to redeem the nation of Israel? Moses only gives one answer to that question. He did it, Moses says, because of his own, the Hebrew word is hesed, his own steadfast love, simply because, as he puts it in Deuteronomy 7, because... God chose to set his love upon them. And when you look at what the New Testament has to say about the gift of Jesus as the gift of our redemption, the answer is the same. Redemption isn't just a gift we couldn't give ourselves. It's a gift that we could never deserve. A gift that was given to us despite and not because of our own worthiness. As Paul puts it in Romans chapter 5, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On April 23rd, 1962, the renowned German theologian Karl Barth, he was giving a series of lectures at the University of Chicago, and he was participating in a in a QA when a student asked him if he could summarize his entire theology in a single sentence. And Bart actually rose to the challenge and responded, In the words of a song I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A truth so simple that it could be captured by a child's song, and yet so profound that the world's most famous theologian regarded it as an apt summary of his entire intellectual project. When we say that salvation is a gift, we're saying something equally profound. Whether we realize it or not, we have each lived under a burden of debt beyond our imagination, a bondage to forces beyond our control, a weight of guilt and shame we can never escape. And according to the Bible, we deserve nothing less. But God so loved the world. But the Trinity whose eternal life is nothing other than a giving and sharing of love, but the God who gave us life to begin with, and whose gift we have all of us spurned, that God, that God so loved the world that he gave a gift of infinite value And paid a price of incalculable cost. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is the gift of our redemption. And once we realize that, our final question should be, so how should we respond? That's a question that we'll explore at more length later in this series. But for now, I'd like to point out one very clear response, which is that of wonder. Earlier in this video, I, I talked about how sometimes we're so familiar with the idea of salvation as a gift that we tend to take it for granted. It ceases to surprise or astonish us. We stop feeling wonder or amazement at it. And maybe it's because we don't understand the infinite cost that was paid for this gift. Maybe it's because, like the people of Israel, we, we start to forget why it is that it was given to us, that we are tempted to think that we actually deserve it. Or maybe it's just because we're so familiar with this message that we stop taking time to really consider it. But for whatever reason, if you're anything like me, you may find yourself sometimes a bit underwhelmed when you read the words of John 3.16. And that's a shame because... This is a gift that deserves more than passing acknowledgement. It's a gift that deserves our astonishment. Which is one reason that one of the most natural ways Christians have responded to the gift of redemption is through song. Just think about how many of the great hymns of the church are, they're just expressions of awe and wonder at the gift of redemption. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Those hymns are not meant to tell us something we don't already know. They're simply meant to remind us of the gift of God's immeasurable love and the redemption of the world, to remind us and to lead us to what should be our natural response, astonishment, wonder, and awe. Do you feel astonishment at the gift of redemption? Are you ever amazed at the extent of God's love? Salvation is a gift. That's a simple truth. But it's never a truth to be taken for granted, a truth to be forever remembered and celebrated, and a gift for which we should feel wonder, astonishment, and awe.